The New Dentist Boost Camp is a one-of-a-kind CE course focusing on new dentists up to six years out of school. The next New Dentist Boost Camp, April 12th to 14th, has a few spots available live for interactive, in-person learning and unlimited spots to join us via live stream, viewable from any web browser. Register to be there live or view the live stream at www.dentistboost.com. Here are some Boost Campers talking about their experience from the first Boost Camp. Hope to see you there. New Dentist Boost Camp really gives us like a lot of resources that I didn't know about before, so it was really nice and some eye-opener, and it kind of creates a camaraderie for us um, to be able to see people who are still in dental school or freshly out or have been in associateship for a couple years or even somebody who has already pra- um, purchased their own practice. So it's really great to kind of have a network of a support system, and I think it's super worth it and really yeah, worth your time. It's tailored to younger dentists, so it's a uh, it's a great transition from dental school to CE in the real world. So you're surrounded by 19 other other uh, people that are in similar situations as you. So you're free to ask the questions you want to ask, and uh, it, you're a little more comfortable in that situation. Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and Attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are the Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Fun to be here, Rob. It's fun to have you, Paul. And welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Dental Amigos. Uh, and today, it's just the two amigos. We have no guests. We could find no friends. Yeah, I like that. Amigo on Amigo podcast. So it's <laughs> like you and I in the old days, you know, like taking the Uber uh, up North Broad Street to uh, Einstein, yeah, rapping about residents. what we're going to talk about to the residents. And, uh, and so today, we're going to talk about case acceptance in the context of a practice transition. So before we get begin, like we're going to talk about a very narrow aspect of case acceptance. I know that uh, our fellow amigos, uh, uh, George Hariri and Richard Lowe, yeah. are doing a whole season on Sharing mm-hmm. Practices podcast, which is an awesome resource that we we obviously uh, uh, recommend everybody oh, avail yeah. themselves of. Uh, but we're going to look at a very discreet aspect of that of that issue today. And, uh, you know, really how case acceptance comes up and, and really how it manifests itself uh, in ways that you may not necessarily realize when you're doing a practice transition. So, Paul, you know, you are one of your many hats, uh, many sombreros, put on yeah, the, yeah. the fedoras, sombreros, yeah, yeah. put on that hat Beanies. now. Yeah. You know, um, you've bought practices, you've helped people obviously sell practices as a broker. Somebody buys a practice, you know, tomorrow. It's and it was grossing 1.3 million dollars before. It's it's a good practice in every way. The seller takes his check and says, "Good luck," and rides off into the sunset. What does that mean to the buyer? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, and I think I see this with transitions and doing a lot of things. But just putting on the hat as a, of a practice owner, you know, when you take over a practice from a dentist who's been there for 25, 35, 45 years 
commonly we look at what procedures that dentist does, and it's a, it's a good thing to do and say, can I do what this dentist did? And most of the time now in 2018, you know, these dentists towards the end of their career, which I understand are mainly doing restorative work, which is fillings and crowns. And then the person buying it says, well, I can do fillings and crowns. So that matches up well. But one thing I like to tell our listeners is that most restorative dental work is, I don't want to say elective, but it's a, a result of chronic issues. So if someone needs a root canal, that means they have get a cavity into the nerve, they get an infection, they get pain, there's a clear-cut issue that's acute, and they go to an endodontist and they need a root canal. They sort of have no other choice, right? You have a flat tire, you gotta get right. it fixed. Right. Restorative work is like the stuff people could do around their homes to fix it up, and a lot of times the relationship they have with their dentist for decades is what shapes their saying yes part. And you know, there's a great, uh, Speaker, uh, Paul Homily, who has a book that says, uh, isn't it wonderful when patients say yes? And, you know, he's a certified speaking professional. I would like to be like him one day, but I say his book is way too positive because no one's ever, you know, if I said, hey, Rob, you need, uh, would you like a crown? I don't think you'd say, yes, I definitely want it, right? <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I say, you know, uh, how to help patients say, okay, I will do it. So what the, the hardest part in this transition process, and you see it as a, on the attorney side, is there's not a lot of opportunity and really no opportunity to test out the practice or to even really get a feel for what the dentist does every day because you will meet very nice dentists who are you know 64 years old and you'll meet them at the practice after hours and you'll look at things but it's very difficult to see what they do every day so you're sort of guessing do i have a personality like this dentist what do you do you ask them questions and what i think the new buyer doesn't understand because it's easy to be in a state of, of fear and easy to be a state of being um, not sure is this going to work out, I took this loan. The dentist who's been there for 40 years, he gets the same pushback from the patient on the crown. But when it's someone you've known, like let's say you know me for 40 years, I say, hey, Rob, you need this crown. Say, all right, Paul, I'll do it, right? Because you know me. But when a new person comes in and says the exact same thing, it's a very new dentist. It's just a challenge for you to say yes. And I think what new, new owners have to realize is that's just normal human behavior. You know, you go to your local nacho joint, they make you the same margarita each time, and then that guy's gone, and a new new one says, you know, you should try this tequila. It could be markedly better. But well, you're like, or no, not. You're not, right. right. So, so your best is to say, I'll just see how it goes with you. So when you take over, and some of the things I talk with young dentists, but really any dentist about is, you know, the positive patient experience to me, PPE, uh, is about likability and credibility. You know, so a person says, is this person likable? And is, are they credible? And How is it possible to be credible on day one? I it's, mean, how, it's, it's very difficult. I mean, in my world, too, same thing. I mean, my, my credibility is very important as to why, whether people want to seek, seek my advice. But, you know, uh, the patient that walks into the office on day one after they've been a patient of the practice for 20 years, uh, how, how do you establish that credibility with them? It's, it's extraordinarily difficult, and it's almost actually impossible because usually the person taking over the practice is decades younger, and the patients are decades older as a trend, and they, you have to focus on likability because, you know, a lot of the flattering things you might think of when I was younger, when I was 28, would say, you know, are you old enough to be a dentist? Or, you know, did you graduate high school yet? And, you know, <laughs> they, you know that's it's, mean. Yeah, it's, it's mean. It's, it's a weird backhanded compliment. And, I don't think it's a compliment, Paul. Yeah, well, you, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, I think I see this nowadays because when I, you know, we'll take you after to school, if they made me pick out who was eight years old and who was five years old, I couldn't do it, right? You know, so like you lose touch and, you know, so these patients who are 77 years old or 67, sure. they say, 
they've lost touch on how old you know someone has to be to be a dentist and that's why you got to really focus on the likability part and i think actually the dental mindset and the dental school mindset is try to be as credible as possible and it's almost like trying to you know break through a wall with a spoon it's impossible and instead you shift your brain to this likability part mm-hmm. and i teach people how to hopefully do these types of things that you learn when you're trying to make friends but you don't learn in dental school and you don't learn them in the context of dental patient care because uh, we all talk about you know everybody knows how to make a friend and what you would do but in you know in dentistry in the different point you do Rob is like we only have sometimes five or ten minutes with the patient to make that impression the total impression from they didn't know us and ten minutes later they have to think do I like this person enough and do I trust them enough I mean trust is sometimes a little over dramatic I say hey uh, Rob you um you know it'd be great if you got a night guard to help your teeth prevent your teeth from grinding how much trust goes into that? I mean, right. it's, it's not that dramatic. Uh, but I tell them to focus on that. And some of the ways I tell them to do it is that when they see patients for the first time, and dental school does not teach you that, you really have to kind of compartmentalize. Is this need acute, has to be done right now, medium bird or chronic, or is it a patient want or, you know, a dentist want? I mean, I just give you examples is, you know, an acute need is a tooth has an abscess or swelling. The tooth is broken off into the inner part of the tooth, something where if you don't do something, it's going to be a problem and you got to put your likability on the line. And that happens sometimes. Hey, hey, Mrs. Smith, uh, you have an abscess swelling in your gum. We either have to do a root canal or extraction. If you do nothing, which I'll talk about later, here's what can happen. And you can't worry about being likable in those scenarios. Right, because, I mean, that's, there's, that's a professionalism. That's, that's an ethical yes, issue at that point. Ethical, you you but, can't not tell somebody but the real story. How many right? times has that happened in an acquisition where I've taken over? One out of 100. Right. So most of the times I'm in this 99 out of 100 of chronic or it could be done. And a lot of times you have to, you know, I use these phrases and I talk about catchphrases and nacho uh, mantras all the time. Like, you know, hey, let's... If your hygienist is one that they've seen for a long time, use their name as much as possible. So let's just say it's Betty. I have a hygienist who's awesome as Betty. And say, you know, hey, Mrs. Smith, I noticed this th- noticed this thing here that is a concern. Let's have Betty make a note. And in six months, we'll monitor it. In six months, we'll check it. And, you know, that, that alleviates their, do I come back or not, right? And, I mean, dentist, dental school makes us get too worked up about problems that are not acute. And then we kind of become like that. I mean, there's a very funny family guy with this, like the guy, at the people at the gym trying to get you to sign up right now. Right. And it's like, you sign up right now, we'll give you a free bag, this and that. And it's just not a likable thing. You, right. you just want to remove yourself. Well, I mean, you're, you're immediately suspicious. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Rightfully so. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, to me, though, to kind of take this a little bit further left is, you know, all this is happening, too, in the context of a transition. And so, obviously, this is not necessarily my area of expertise, but I've heard enough people speak, and I've kind of thought about it, and it makes sense. This also goes to, like, what changes are being made in the practice, too. Right. So, like, you know, what I see a lot of times where people say, hey, I'm going to buy this practice, and I'm going to change it physically. I'm going to change the website. I'm going to change these employees. I mean, if you're doing all of those other changes at the same time while you're trying to be you know, build credibility and trust in the patient, it's, 
it seems like it would be more difficult because a patient sitting in the chair, when you tell them that they need this particular procedure, thinking, I'll bet he does. Right, yeah, Somebody's yeah. got to pay yeah, for that yeah. new front right. desk, I mean, right? I, I, you know, this I was, saw that car out front. That must have a very nice car. It must I, belong yes, to this new young you know, dentist who's like going to sell me stuff. They, totally. I mean, I, I had a conference. This doesn't happen. This happens, too. I, I don't want to brag about how well I'm doing with patients, but I had a 23-minute argument with a patient about how you know their, their splint on their teeth wasn't, it wasn't our fault it broke and you know we weren't trying to drum up more work and this is actually someone who knew us already right, right. so this doesn't happen so when they don't know you it's even more they're more on edge and I tell them that I mean there's one of my favorite movies is Forgetting Sarah Marshall and there's a classic scene where uh, Paul Rudd is uh, teaching Jason Siegel how to surf and he said do less do less like do less and that's actually my message to dentists when they take over practices do less and this is my criteria is answer these two questions is it unethical okay is it unsafe or in this kind of, or is it immoral? If you can't say yes to any of those things, don't change it. You know, right. you, don't, you don't like the painting on the wall of the dogs playing poker, those classic. <laughs> Leave it up because that makes people feel comfortable. Right. You know, people are always like, and then over time when they get to know you, and a lot of times you just have to have that one okayest visit, uh, they just, I mean, there really actually should be a service. It doesn't have to be a Paul Goodman service, but there should be somebody to help these dentists with this because it's, you are taking over so many different things at one time. And you can lose sight of what's important. And there, nothing happens in a practice unless a patient says, okay, I'll do it. So you can have a CBC machine, you have digital x-rays, you have great marketing, but it's still just two people sitting across from each other saying, okay, I'll do it. And uh, I think the intuitive way a dentist will act actually becomes off-putting to the patient. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing too, though, if you're talking about the physical place, like, you know, here it is. You've just bought this new office. You've paid a lot of money for it. This is your, you know, going to be your practice, and you really want to make it yours and make these changes. But it might be your office, but it's also the place where your patients go for their right, yes. for their healthcare. And so it's almost like it's not totally up to you whether you like it or what you totally, want to do. Yeah. This, is, this is their place as much or more than it is yours. You might own it, but they're certainly residing in it. You know? yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, if I was taking over a party that was being thrown every year and I said, this is now my party, it's just going to be nachos as far as the eye could see. I mean, I don't know why anyone wouldn't love that, but if they said, hey, we are not nacho eaters, they're not going to come to your party. Well, if the yeah. people were, were eating French cheese and drinking yeah. French wine at the party the year before, that crowd may not be totally, totally. thrilled about nachos and margaritas. I don't know if we would necessarily want to hang out with those yeah, people. Yes, exactly. That's somebody else's would be, problem. Paul. But, you know, if we I, mean, I do bought, like wine. If we bought their... Uh, if we transition, like you say, it's a, it's a people place, not a gas station. Uh, you know, if you transition that, you have to look and act like the other place. Then the other thing that we would talk about, too, is, and this is, you know, the team that may stay with you if the dentist doesn't. They're on edge. What's this person recommending? Why are they recommending it? And they don't want change either. Like, it's very weird. Uh, it's a lot of that, like, um, I can say bad things about my family, but you can't. So it's like if you took this team prior to a transition and said, you know, what are some concerns you have here? I'm just using an example. We don't have night hours, right? And we should always have night hours because people ask for night hours. When the new person comes in and says we should have night hours, you know what they say? We never had those before. Right. Because it's, it's just threatening to them. It's all just, just people don't like to feel threatened and change makes them feel threatened. And the do less mantra is one that I, I mean, I'm my buyer coaching or just friends or Facebook. I just say, uh, if it's, first of all, you know, you, you, we talk about this a lot. Like whatever your working capital you have, if it's not going to make you money, just don't use it yet, right? So too often dentists will want to change a lot of things that have nothing to do with making money, risk 
losing patients, and this could be decor things, right? Mm -hmm. They spend ten thousand dollars redoing the waiting room when people are like, I like the chairs we used to sit on. And you know, it's like, you know, it's so you said that you said it yourself, Rob. It's like we go to restaurants when they ask to take your jacket, you know what kind of place you're at, right? And you're like, I'll take my jacket, I'm not giving you that tip. And it's like, <laughs> I'll give you the dollar later, right? I'll take a dollar out of my so you just know, right? So when they change the chairs, they could change the chairs because they're just saying, hey, these chairs are almost gonna fall apart. But the patients, you know, then you're, and we're talking here a lot of times, and we just sort of set this first one up as the dentist is not there anymore, right? Right. So yeah, so that, that's you know, exactly. So we're talking know, about the the case acceptance in the context of a transition where the dentist has you know, shook your hand and said, "I wish you luck," and I'm going to Florida to play golf. Yeah. So, right. So that that's that scenario yeah. we're talking about, right? So then the next one. Obviously, and, and that one's probably being the most challenging. Of what it's we're the most challenging about. initially, as 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 a as a seasoned veteran of multiple practice owners, multiple practice transitions. It's it's not all bad, but for your first one, like your, we talk a lot about the first. It's difficult for your first transition. I and mean, looking at a broad picture after multiple transitions, there's can, there can be some benefits to that. But for a new owner of a new practice, who I'm thinking of a dentist who's 32 and it's their first time, it's it's difficult. It's a difficult thing. So, so before we go to what I think is probably at least the short term, the easiest one, let's kind of skip ahead now. If you're going to do a merger or a fold-in, you know, when we refer to a, fold, a merger, I mean, or a fold-in, what we're talking about is buying a practice that's at a different location and moving it to uh, to your location, which yeah. now that, that all the things we're talking about, it's it's all that and so much more, yeah. right? Because now you're asking people to go to a different place to see a different dentist. You, you know how you know what are the challenges there? The, those we we did one with that as a usually just so our listeners understand. Usually they're smaller in scope, and I look at them as large marketing projects and good ones a lot of times. So. It's rare that it would be like you know a seven hundred thousand dollar fold in. So these for us have, was a one that was under two hundred thousand dollars where we had acquired all these charts, but the dentist was like, "I'm going to uh, the beach and I'll see you later." And I mean, he was a, he was a nice, very nice dentist. And with those, you have to be extra likable because yes, they've taken a whole extra step. But there is some benefit, and that's why I love the merger fold in if it's if it works because. The patient makes a decision at that time, do they want to stick with you or not? And I mean, you help people with these deals too, Rob. It's like you can kind of structure it in a way that it could be, can be a win-win for both parties. Uh, but the the problem is the the, trend, the new owner is you just don't know what this guy did in his practice or, right. or female. Right. So, so you're sort of guessing. I mean, uh, there's a funny Tom Papa joke where he said before he kids, you know, he's like, I know I'm a bad uncle because when my nephew nephews came over and they said, could we have Count Chocolate or, Dra or uh, Frankenberry? And he goes, we could have both. They said, really? Because their mom wouldn't let them do that, right? <laughs> but you're just guessing. Is this what they did? Like a tooth breaks and something. I'm just using an example. A tooth breaking is like a tire getting something stuck in it where you either patch it or you get a new tire. Some dentists are new tire dentists, some are patch dentists. And you're sort of guessing at that moment, which way are we gonna go? And that's difficult. I mean, you can try to talk to the dentist. I mean, looking back on this with hindsight, I actually would spend more time interviewing the dentist a little bit and ask them some questions, just write them down. Yeah, like what kind of things, yeah. you know, uh, what kind of things would you ask them? I mean, I would, nowadays, dentists love to talk about dentistry, they really do. and. Uh, like even ones who don't like dentistry, they still like to talk. I've about seen it. that on that notch. Yeah, yes, that's right. Yes, I do. I, I, I immediately tune out when I see an X-ray. Yeah, yeah, I'm, but they, I'm but they for a question about a lease. Somebody right. asked about. Uh, I mean, I was on the Fran, Howard Fran podcast, and I'm kind of using his material. So, when you put a crown and you cement it, it's like think of it like tooth glue. It's probably twelve different types of tooth glue. Good news, they're all good to great. 
if you ask Dennis, which tooth glue do you think is the best? I'll get 300 comments about all that are good. So they like this stuff. This is how to make the pasta. So actually I would get some pictures of some scenarios, common scenarios. I would show a molar or a premolar, the back tooth, half of it broken. And almost like, you know, like on a PowerPoint and say, uh, hey, Dr. Rob, this was this patient. Your patients usually, are they okay with crowns here? Or do they usually like it if you just do like a new filling? And they say, oh, my patients, they want the new filling because that's $200 instead of $1,200. And I would say, okay, I'll put this over here. Mm -hmm. Very common thing. And maybe this crosses your path. I know you don't do like malpractice stuff, but like periodontal disease is like, I don't know how to explain it with our physical fitness, but it, blood pressure is more, more important. Like people can have moderate bone loss and the dentist can kind of never say anything about it. But then another dentist sees it and says, oh God, I can't believe you have this. And then the old person's like, right. it's like a personal trainer being like, oh, you're 15 pounds overweight, you look fine. And the next personal trainer's like, you are not fine. Uh, that is, a, I would show x-rays like that and say, in this, in this scenario, would you do scaling and root planing? That's a deep cleaning. Would you do refer to a periodontist? Say, oh no, they just come in every six months. Sometimes this would actually, and it's a great question, it would kind of start to tell you if you should even well, take this merger. Well, that's where we're going, right. <laughs> so, right. Or at least what you're going to pay for it, right? right? What are you going to pay for it? Because it's, it's, it's a different practice if you're doing crowns as, or implants as opposed to you know, fixing people's fillings, right? Yeah. If, and, uh, but in general, for impositive note, these, these are actually fantastic ones because if you do do things like implants like we do, uh, I live in this, you know, it's classic, like 80% of the people really are normal from any dental practice. And a lot of them have come to our practice from this transition and uh, have happy to have implants, happy to have new stuff. You know, some people did say, why can't you do a filling? I mean, one of, nowadays, it's, this is actually not a joke. I thought of this because I'm remembering this scenario from four years ago. Woman came in, think of a mailbox and a post. Everything's off but the post in the ground. And they said, right. can't you just do a filling? And I was like, it would be, it would be a defy physics for us to do it. So the x-ray did this. And she was just really angry at me. She said, the old doctor would have just done a filling. I would have just wanted to like zoom him in, FaceTime him in. Right. He would have done it for me because right. dentists do like each other. But could you look at this x-ray? Tell Mildred it can't be saved, right? Right. And not for any money reason, just for my sanity reason. Yeah. So you get some of that where like the old doctor would have done this, but you can never cross check with that person, right? Because they're not there. So, you know, that kind of leads us into when the doctor is there. Yeah, and that, that's it's yeah. it's interesting because I I think a lot of people either miss or underestimate this because I've had conversations with people that have done acquisitions and they've said, you know, I thought I would buy this practice be, and that I saw an opportunity for growth because you know they weren't doing certain procedures. If I can get in there and do those procedures, then you know I would make more money. And then, but then only find out that as soon as they recommended some of those procedures, yeah. that they were just met with just utter contempt and may have just lost the patient, you know? So I think it's sort of, obviously, this is why we're talking about it. It's just so important to be, you know, aware of what these patients expect and what's going on there, and then to be realistic as to what you can change. You know, this comes right Absolutely. back to like, you know, we have, we talk about the relationship metaphor all the time with, with business and partnerships, but the patient a uh, dentist relationship is a partnership of sorts. You know? Oh, very true. I mean, I, I, one of the things I've thought about when people say, you know, I actually believe that anyone looking to acquire a practice should be training in this. The problem is it's easy to learn how to do veneers or implants. There's no clear-cut training for these people skills. One of them was my own speaker coach, Karen Cortell Reisman, who trained speakers. But as I was doing some training with her, I was like, you should be training dentists because how she teaches you to do a presentation it's, I've actually used it many times. What I use on stage to 500 people, I actually used to one 77-year-old from my town. Right. Because that's the magic. 
And that's what the dentist doesn't spend any time doing. I mean, you know, we uh, both exercise you more than me, Rob, but like, you know, exercise has changed over the years. Core activity is super important. Kettlebell exercises. Sure. So it'd be like training someone being like, you know, kettlebells became very popular, right? And it, for a good reason. And it'd be like, should I try this kettlebell thing? And they're like, no, no, just keep doing bench press as much as you can. And then you get into the, the competition and you needed that. And I, I think you should tell your own clients to, I mean, some examples would be like a Toastmasters, speaking presentations. I mean, probably things you find at different community colleges. Um, it might sound crazy, but stand-up comedy classes or acting classes would be good because, um, you know, it's like when people are nervous, you can see it on their face. Mm-hmm. And they're now meeting a new person. Dentists are introverted. They have to, this legacy of people who are not there, and we can talk about when they're there. And uh, it's, it's the thing that I caution people when they just say, I can do what the old dentist did. I'm like, tell me about his personality. And especially, you know, getting to some of our numbers, like the higher the production per procedure, the tougher the transition. Because right. that means that that dentist had a good relationship with those patients. They knew how to sell. Yeah. I hate to be, be crass about it, but it is what it is. Yeah. Because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about, and, and, and look, it's easy for me. I'm not a dentist, yeah. but this is about being a salesperson. You know, and, and not necessarily in a negative way. We're not I mean, saying that we're not saying like you yeah. have to be a salesperson because I'm gonna try to make more money. I mean, it's the same thing in my world. Sometimes, you know, you have to you have to convince your client or convince your patient for their own good. You know, like you're not yeah. necessarily trying to tell lead them astray to make more money off them. It's like, no, you know, like you have to impress on them what's really in their best interest. And sometimes that takes some convincing. It's I mean, not it, always just salespeople evident. can be highly highly helpful and ethical people. The Tipping Point's a great book. It talks about this. And I mean, you've, you've helped me with my own buyer coaching. Sometimes people are selling you a life preserver. Sometimes they're selling you a scam. You have to determine which is which. Right. But don't just automatically assume it's a scam. I mean, I mean I, I'm trying to use a, just an easy example for people to understand. I mean, one of yours is easy. We talk about um, you know, somebody purchasing a cash flow analysis, right? right. Go purchase this cash flow analysis. We could be saying, this is a life preserver. You know, we're saying you should purchase this and utilize it. I mean, now I have a second child. There's tremendous baby things that just change your life. Carriers. I mean, we, we bought a $40 rock and play for Daphne, which now they did say is dangerous, but luckily she's still here. But uh, uh, that's <laughs> it's made it. her more resilient. We, we, we go and buy things to help us all the time. Right. But this sort of resistance to buying things to help you, I, I, I don't totally understand it. Because what if you buy that thing? I mean, actually, I was just I was getting my hair cut over um, our intermission here. And I recommended to my hair salon to get the text and email thing uh, that we use. Well, are we solution? I did. I told <laughs> you, you, you couldn't help yourself. Right? Six months ago, I've got a so, good business yeah, idea. For I you. did. I can't. I can't help myself. I'm kindly annoying everywhere. So it's not easy to be married to me. But some people are just like you're just annoying. I'm like, but I'm kind. Like it seems annoying. Uh, but this is not a joke. So I said this to her, and there's multiple ones out there. I am a key opinion lead for Solution Reach. They have Demand Force. They have uh, Legwork. A lot of them. Just say like Nike, Reebok, and Adidas. I told this, this this owner who's like my age, who I really like, and she said to me today, you know, when you told me all that, it changed my life because now my clients can text us back and tell us when they're not coming because they were doing everything by the phone. And she was so appreciative yeah. that I had done this for her. So I tell Dennis, like, you know, the, I hope she gave you a free haircut. Yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. You, you deserved like, it. Yeah, yeah, thanks. I, 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 uh, she tell her what that nice. advice is yeah, worth. I've already told her she needs to do something new next. She's like, I'm annoying her at the next level. <laughs> I've got a great uh, but, idea. However, but, uh, we have to negotiate. And I always tell people to test that. So I think when you think what you are selling to patients, uh, and you shouldn't feel bad about it because you're selling them something good that you believe in. Right. So I, I, I don't feel bad at all. I, I feel 
I actually always feel, and this is, I mean, case acceptance, and, you know, I know George and them are going to do this, but, like, I feel that the patient's fortunate to be able to get this thing that's going to help them in their life. I do think it's fortunate I'm getting money, but I always see them as the, the ultimate winner yeah. in the transaction. Well, you would hope that that's why they go to the dentist, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, that they truly want to be helped. And, yeah. of course, probably that's not the case with everybody, unfortunately. So, um, so then sort of the third scenario or type of scenario in the practice transition world is the deal where the selling doc is going to stay on for some period of time, which, hey, sounds great, right? They're going to show you, watch them how they do their, right. do their thing, see what their style is, right? And then three years later, you're still watching them do their thing, yes. and, their, and it's, not, it's still their style. I guess I've already tipped our hand, but you know, what are some of the challenges and the pitfalls with uh, with that scenario? The that is the that's still the most common right now. Be, uh, you know, putting aside the corporate transitions where the owner is is staying for sure, most of the time there's a transition, and I still say that that's a good thing when I'm telling people. But I, I say you should put boundaries on it. I actually like six months as the boundary or twelve months because then you know, hey. We're going to get through this for six or 12 months, just like, I mean, I like sports. It's like, then we'll re-sign. Both parties could say at the end of that 12 months, hey, it's been great. Uh, both people have to turn their key to keep it. In those, But scenarios- again, too, hold that thought, sure. Paul. You know, people need to keep in mind, a lot of this is dictated by the size of the practice. Oh, so, right. Exactly. You know, I saw a post uh, last week where somebody was asking about what they should do to keep whether they should keep the selling dentist on for some period of time. And it's like, who knows? Right. Like, you know, they, they even, is it, economically, is it feasible? Like, so that, you know, that sometimes is a luxury to be able to do that. I totally right? agree. You have to manage everyone's expectations ahead of time. The selling dentist in general uh, wants to help the buy, person buying the practice. So sometimes people offer you help, but it's not much help. So when, you know, we all see this with the grandparent generation. So I remember I didn't sleep as a kid. And my dad would tell me, his mom would say, oh, he's, the grandmother would say, he sleeps for me. Why, you must be doing something wrong. And then I remember, you know, when Daphne was young, my dad would say, oh, you got, you know, she, he's criticizing me. So you couldn't have your, your parent with you while you're parenting your own child forever. It would just be terrible. People would start fighting. But there's some good input, right? So it's, it's the dosage. That's a good point. So I try to tell people buying is, hey, I would not keep the same schedule for the seller no matter what. Because then they mentally are thinking they're moving out. Right. So it's like four days. Say, hey, how's two days sound? And, you know, from the you've made a good point about the total revenue of the practice. But there is something to be said about for a three to six month period, investing and in seeing what this guy does. Good, bad or indifferent or, or you know, female. So it's like saying, hey, I'd like to show you to come two days a week. You'll see your fillings. You'll see your crowns. Check hygiene. Let's hang out together. Um, but then when that happens, we get into the stuff I have with my own children. And it was like, mom said I couldn't eat ice cream. What do you think, right? So I'll say, Doc Smith said I don't need a crown. Do I need one? And you're like, this is now a question I can't answer properly, right? Right, right. So, uh, and the other thing is, it's like getting back to the workout thing. Doc Smith is be saying, I've been bench pressing for 30 years. Don't I look great? And you say, well, we got these kettlebell things now. And they say, I heard those stink. That's why you want to put a time frame on it. But I like it in general because I like collaboration. And I think that if you're going to take over the ship for the next 30 years, at least see how the last captain did it. But I know you help people with this. Most times, the dentists, both the buyer and seller, uh, think they want to be there longer than they should on both ends. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, know, you probably see this. You know, and, and then it becomes weird. How do you kick them out, right? It's like, what's the day where you say, today's the day. We don't want you here anymore. So that's why I always think like a contract. We see this with... Um, you know, like these, uh, I mean, basketball has a lot. It's like it's like a defined short-term contract. 
and then there has an end and you can sit down and say, what makes sense here? And sometimes it's the seller saying, I'm done with dentistry, right? right. Sometimes the buyer saying, I'm good. Sometimes the buyer saying, the new owner saying, I want you to stay forever. And they say, I'm sorry, I want to play golf, you know? So those scenarios are the most comfortable for the person buying it because they feel like they have the protector with them. Well, so what are they doing during that time period? I mean, are you, you know, obviously, if you're paying a dentist to, to do dentistry, if it's a practice that's big enough to support two dentists, you as the buyer, you can't afford to just sit in the in the operatory right. watching and listening to this person, or do you? It's like, to, well, what? Do, how do you gauge that? It's a good point, and I, I, maybe I'm even giving your own advice back, but I know someone has told me this. I don't mind that point. Uh, yeah, the, the key is to reduce the schedule no matter what. No matter what you think, reduce the schedule, because that means you're going to be there without the old older dentist. That's magic, because you're there without them, and Barson comes in, and they break their tooth, and... They say, I want to see Doc, old Doc Smith. He's only here two days. He kind of got me. I'll review your case with him. He would agree. I'll, I'll look at it with him. It's, it's somewhat annoying, but it's a good time to have the grandparent not on site. Okay. Can't get to him. And then they would say, uh, hopefully they'll support you. They should. I so mean, you, so you're going to call the seller at that point? I mean, He's I, not there today. He's, he's playing golf. And you, you call him and say, yeah. hey, we've got the situation with, you know, Patient Smith and usually what golf do you falls think? into this not acute thing. So mm-hmm. if it's if it's the emergent thing, you got to act as a dentist. Right, so right. so short, I say we have we, when we actually say this, and, and they're they're really ninety five percent true. We have meetings where we talk about this stuff, and that makes the patient very comfortable. If the seller is still attached, that's the whole point. If you just say, Doctor Rob Montgomery is still here on Tuesdays, that person could work on Tuesdays. That person could never come except Fridays. It really makes them feel comfortable. So it gives you credibility. Yeah, that's right? the yes, Got exactly. It. It because some things still haven't changed. He's yeah. still there, right? Yes, and that's what we're talking there. about. And when he goes to the front still. desk, is Doc Smith there? They are. Yeah, right. And, that, and that's just about people feeling comfortable. And it goes back to what we were saying a while ago about being careful of changing too much, you know, and right. that's a scary thing. And people still, what I'm hearing is, have that security of the their old dentist, the seller, still being around. You know, I mean, it, it, it an implied a, endorsement, right? I mean, I don't, know, I don't know. Maybe some of your clients will say this to you at some point, Rob. But I mean, I, I, I do, we both do this so much with transitions. But I'm the guy on the front line, kind of, you know, intaking these people, right? And you know, the seller will say, and it's like a real catch twenty two to the seller. Uh, my patients keep asking me when I'm going to retire because they say we never want you to retire, but they don't want to work forever. But they're just so emotionally attached to this human because people just do not like dentistry. So even if it's a very interesting thing. This, the patients have no idea how good that good that dentist is, quote unquote good. I'm not assuming they're bad, but like it's like me with technology. I'm pretty much done at Facebook and Instagram. I mean, it's I'm done. I, I'll, I'll hire other people to help me. So what's interesting is that patient is willing to sacrifice their own dental. Not, they're willing to sacrifice their own like kind of updated dental technology just to get that old per, older person. Right. Then you need to have the seller say, hey, I mean, my dad was a pro at this, and that's why it obviously works out with the dad and the son. Paul's if someone who does, I mean, he was genuine, but he would say, Paul does implants, he trained with this. And I mean, that's the magic because, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be related to the person, but when they're there physically with you saying, this person does this thing that I do not do, and they're good at it, I mean, that's the, that's the gold in a transition. Well, it gives you credibility. Yeah, and then they yeah. try it, 
and then you know everybody wins and they say oh you know i, I do what's interesting to sellers i mean if they i don't know how many of listening is sometimes they're poignant because one or two visits with the new dentist and they don't want to see the seller anymore either right people people don't want to change but it doesn't mean they're not changeable Right. Now somehow they like the new person. And I love that in my practice. We have associates and they say, you know, I say, try out Dr. Evan or on and you know, just let me know if there's any problems, right? There's not going to be any. And then three or four visits later, you know, I'll say, oh, do you want to see me again? They're like, no, no, we like our new person. And yeah. I love that. I mean, to sure. me, that's being successful. Oh, absolutely. But it's, it's so much management of emotions, Rob. It's not an easy, easy thing. Yeah. Hmm. Well, so, you know, what types of tools do you recommend to people when it comes to case acceptance in a uh, in a practice transition for I mean, the buyer, I, I talk speak a lot about this, lecture about a lot about, it, talk to the Einstein residents about it. It's, it's having. I mean, my thing is everything that matters needs a system, and everything matters, including this. So, you know, one is just having repeatable catchphrases that you say all the time. Doctor John Coyce is one of just amazing dentists, and I've learned so much from him in his lectures. You know, people are on edge thinking you're going to make them do something, whether they're afraid of money, whether they're afraid of pain, whether they're afraid of time. So if you disarm them by, I say, uh, hey, Rob, is it okay if I tell you about these concerns I see? And I just want to let you know, even if you decide to do nothing, we can still be friends. And people laugh because nobody wants to be friends with their dentist. But it's just very disarming. I have no problem with that, Paul. And I do say this, Rob, you know, I was like bringing law. I was a lawyer. I say, um, you know what, and this is all customized decision-making. So it's not like you can always have an exact cookbook, but you, when you practice it, depending on your personality, I might say, you know what, Rob, uh, the dental law requires me to tell you what's wrong with your mouth. <laughs> and it's serious, but I, you know, then I say, we'll talk about what we can do, but it's up to you if you want to do it. And then, you know, that just sets the table, right? Yeah. Hey, these are some things that I'm concerned about. Uh, we'll talk about what we can do, and it's up to you if you want to do it. And I tell people, if you just start with, here's what happens if you do nothing. You have a broken tooth. Hey, Rob, you know, I know this tooth isn't hurting you, but if you leave it this way and do nothing, uh, a cavity can get to the internal part of the tooth. You might need a root canal. Tooth can become sensitive. Tooth can break more, and you could lose it. Uh, that's what happens if you do nothing. And I, sometimes I just go to pain, swelling, infection. If, if a dentist wants a quick catchphrase, hey, Rob, if you do nothing with almost any dental problem, you might have pain, swelling, or infection. Okay, you want to do something? Here's what we could do. And I just think dentists are not taught that way. And they just launch into what you need with great intentions. Hey, Rob, you broke your tooth. Uh, you need a crown. People get crowns. You need a crown. And they've been an associate of places with crowns. But old Doc Smith, he patched it. Yeah. And, and that now they have created a, almost an adversarial environment, an adversarial situation with you. Because now you're defending your own personal trainer. Right. Like we just did the calisthenics, right? It's like, so it's a... It's a complex scenario that I just think deserves more attention because, you know, I appreciate you bringing it up. Not many people talk about this. Yeah. So, I mean, the, these sort of buzzwords or catchphrases that you use, I mean, is it really, it sounds to me like there's two reasons for that. One is you've got some repeatable thing that you could always fall back right. on. So that's easy, yeah. right? And uh, and then it's also really helps to, to, to kind of, you know, it's, it's a, a premeditated way of of kind of easing the the tension yeah. for you definitely easing tension then you, you it makes you look like you know what you're doing other things i have and this is very expensive you should get a white piece of paper and a, a box of black pens blue pens and red pens everything's do less for me and get clipboards and whenever a patient has a has a you know we have these emergency issues you just say to your assistant can you just put out my clipboard and the pens and i just draw out the picture for you with the broken tooth with the implant scenario 
And then I use a patient mirror, uh, which is just one you hold. You can buy on, you know, for eight dollars. And then an intro camera. The more things you can use to establish credibility, right? That you look like you know what you're talking about. And I mean, you know, I'm just very into this right now with everything. It's like there's just limits to verbal instruction. So I could tell you 30 sentences about your broken tooth, but if you just saw a picture of it on your TV, you'd say, "Oh yeah, that is broken." Well, verbal instruction <laughs> about something that you don't really understand. Right, yes, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. sort of like sometimes. You know, I've had situations with, with accountants over the years where we're working on a deal, and then they'll start telling me about some details of, of the accounting world, and it's like, wow, I just, I, the, know, we're, we just tell me, I just want to know. <laughs> yeah, they're, Please they're, just tell me. My own accountant, he always says, we'll do it over here, we'll pick it up on the Schedule C, put it on the K-1, I go, Schedule C, not Schedule F, and I make a joke because I don't know what, <laughs> what he's talking about. And, and they, they are the worst to me at explaining what they do in what I call, I call it patient-friendly terms, but it's really just people-friendly terms. Yeah. And they're they're usually wonderful people, sure. And they're, but they're, but like I just nod. But I don't, you until don't, they're done. don't necessarily yeah. understand what yeah, they're talking no, about it, sometimes, it, and, and nor nor do you care, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a little different with your your healthcare, but it's the same thing. I mean, there's a limit to the you know what your expectations should be as to how this very technical advice is going to be received by a patient. Yeah, I mean, it's right? like Denzel Washington from Philadelphia explains to me like I'm a six year old and just say. Hey, this is this scenario, and then it, you know what dentists also don't realize as owners, Rob, is, is he associates. When associates don't have a patient, they just go check email, do anything they want. Owners, we have fifty million things to do, so you actually have to make your consults efficient. Like you can't get, you know, I, I it happens to the best of us. It happens to us at a, at an open bar at a wedding. Like I came here for the open bar, and next thing you know, someone's talking to you for thirty-seven minutes, and you've lost your whole open bar time. It's such yeah, a bummer. Yeah, and you, you hate it. It's like, what are you going to do? So this happens. You, as a new owner, you could be stuck trying to help someone. Hygienist could be waiting. Your patient could be numb, and you just are super stressed. So this systems with the paper, the intro camera, the mirror, and the catchphrases allows you to just be efficient and uh, do the same thing over and over again, and and you'll. Uh, become comfortable. And whenever people do the same thing over and over again, the person listening, it, it sounds like you know what you're talking about. So, And that is very powerful mm. when you're trying to, I would hate to say, sell or trying to advise people as to what they're going to do. Yeah. I mean, you, you feel with, the, with the, uh, your things. I mean, sometimes your, your world, Rob, I mean, a lot of times I want to tell the listeners, it's okay if people do nothing. They're going to come back. I mean, you know, like when we're in this middle ground of stuff, they don't want a crown because they have a big filling. Like, don't be so dental. I would come on, but like, don't be so dramatic about it. Like, dental school makes us dramatic. These things are not really actually dramatic. Like, you know, it's like, it's okay. People have stuff in their car that they should get fixed, but it's not going to crash. If their brakes aren't going to go, then you got to stand up and say, right. now it's not about being likable. It's saying, if you drive home with these brakes, you could crash. And that, but I'm telling you again, not again, I'm saying it's a one out of a hundred time. The rest mm -hmm. of them are all in this chronic time here. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. So we're going to wrap it up, but before we do, kind of give our listeners, Paul, what is the uh, the number one top nacho secret? Oh, sure. To, yeah, to I mean, case I, I, and and offering nachos to the patient yeah, yeah. is not. That's, that's I not wish you could. We offer Keurigs. People like that. They steal them, and then sometimes they want to steal the machine. But the <laughs> they, they, I'm okay with that if it gets them in there. They steal the cake cups. Oh, I mean, I, I kind of made this as a joke, but we, we have so many older patients who love free coffee, and they, yeah. you know, I just say, are you putting like three or four in your? Three? I feel like the, uh, we had a, another person on the podcast where they said, you know, counting the pizza boxes. I feel like we counted the cups versus the K cups. Like, well, more K cups are gone than cups, right? That's so, funny. Uh, um, we don't actually have people don't physically come to our yeah, office no, usually. You're, so, that's you're, something you're I, yeah. I didn't you know, I realize the K cup theft phenomenon. Yeah, that's okay. If they like it, they could have it. Um, mine is, uh, I mean, I have to say, 
in the kindest way. I do not care what the patient chooses. If they don't want to order off my menu, no problem. They want to order the most expensive thing, the middle price thing. But I really care a lot about giving them the menu of what we could do to help. And that's just my view. This is what we could do to help you. This is what we could do to help you. I mean, restaurants have this. They don't need to talk about this because people gleefully skip in there and want to order multiple things. But we're like a restaurant nobody wants to eat at. And we make the, I make a menu. I put a lot of time into it. You know, it's obviously a customized menu with these things. And I just do not care what you decide at the end. Because, you know, it's, it's I don't know why I would care. Uh, and it comes off of me to the patient. And I think it just makes you very genuine. Uh, because I'm just, I really shift. I mean, it's, it's a dramatic, I, I shift the decision-making responsibility to you. And I just say, do you have any more questions about this menu? It's time for you to order. And a lot of times people don't have this happen in their life. They're used to advisors or dentists or doctors saying, this is what's best for you. And that can cut both ways because you tell someone they need a crown and you don't give them the other options. And then the tooth needs a root canal and the tooth fractures. Now they're not so happy with you. So I shifted to them. And I think that's rare in dentistry because we just never learned to do it. I learned it being a restaurant server, really, if you want to ask me where I learned this from. Yeah, that's interesting because really what you're talking about there is really more, as you said, it's like more like being an advisor. And you know, it's the same thing that we have with our clients. I mean, we don't make decisions for people. You know, we can't, shouldn't, nor do we try. You know, it's right. you tell them their options. They make the decisions. You document that you gave them those yeah. options. And they deal with the consequences of it. I mean, it almost seems like, and this is a whole other thing that, you know, I'm, I'm starting to talk to you about. But, you know, it's just like sort of your, your dentist, your own mental health as a dentist. I mean, I can't imagine if you actually, if you let your brain and, your, you know, your emotions creep into that decision oh, yeah. all day, every yeah. day with like people, you know, choosing not to, to do what you want them to do and have this reaction that you're disappointed or you're hurt or you feel put upon by that. Like that is just like taking like just like boulders and just dropping yeah, them on right. your head. Like I don't know how you go home at the end of the day if, if you're going to wrap yourself well, into those, each those of those micro stresses like that. that add up. There's micro that I would I just tell people like don't be so dramatic about it. Like people might come back they won't come back just just you do i mean it's you know you do you but like we talk about on the podcast you know be purposeful be aware prepare yourself right i mean this is like you know take a course on from toastmasters take some speaking training i don't know, read paul homily's book something something because i think sometimes dennis just show up and say hey i'm ready to go uh for this play that they're now star of and i'm like have you acted before like no i've never acted i'm like well it's going to be a problem out there yeah. so i think that's you know a great uh you know don't don't care in the kindest way just about their di- order just care about your menu yeah and uh that's great paul it's awesome stuff and i think maybe uh we can get those uh sites to uh, the paul homily book uh yeah we'll put them in the show in notes. the show notes and, and some of those other resources uh but it makes sense. I mean, how can you show up for a presentation that you're not prepared for? Totally. I, I, I totally agree with that. So, uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for asking me all about this. It's one of my favorite topics, Rob. And um, I will just put some uh, valuable resources in the, in the show notes and kind of keep it as a point of our thread through our podcast. Good stuff. Thanks, Amigo. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.